0: Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The Book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do. And how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do When she really puts her mind to it, it also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day.
1: You are now listening to Season 4 of the Gospel Feast Podcast. It's time to feast on the words of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Welcome back to another special seventh episode of the Gospel Feast series. If you are new to our podcast, you might not know that every seventh episode, we take questions from our listeners. Today's question comes from Jared of St. Charles, who asks, Have you studied Gog and Magog? What can you tell us about it? And why do
0: some translations include the word Rosh and others do not? I have studied Prince Gog and his army Magog. In fact, you can find an extensive expose on him and them in two volumes of the Gospel Feast series: Volume 5, Ezekiel and the Millennial Reign of Christ, and the truncated version called Volume 5a, The Essential Ezekiel. Ezekiel was an amazing prophet, and is, in my opinion, the most difficult book in the Bible, including the book of Isaiah, Zechariah, and John's Revelation. Our listeners know that it is our educated speculation on this show that the second coming of our Lord will occur in the fall of the year 2030. Now, once again, we could be wrong about that. It is our further speculation that the end of John's half-hour of heavenly silence will occur in the fall of this year, 2022. That means that the Battle of Armageddon must occur sometime within the next few years. There is a lot of confusion on this topic of Armageddon and Gog and Magog, which we won't go into here, only to say that this confusion muddies the waters enough that we could be wrong about quite a lot of things. For example, in the Luciferian Church, former U.S. President George Herbert Walker Bush was given the new Luciferian name of Gog when he was thrice born into Satanism. He's gone on to his eternal reward, so you can see how well that worked out for him. The devil will not support his followers on the last day. But we digress. When the Lord wants to tie a prophecy to a bloodline, he uses the table of nations found in Genesis to do so. This is because, while locations change their names and borders, DNA and ancestry cannot We are told that the Table of Nations was written by Father Noah when he divided up the earth for the families of man as patriarch, or Father Elias, the planter, preparer, the chief gardener, if you will. We find Magog as a bloodline mentioned here. Historians, ancient and modern, tell us that Magog's children became known as the Scythians, and these intermarried with the children of Ashkenaz, Now note what the Lord says in Ezekiel 38. I
1: have that here. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal.
0: Gog of the land of Magog is ruling over the children of Meshech and Tubal. At the time that these verses were written, until rather recent memory, the tribes of Meshach and Bal were peoples of no major militaristic importance. Indeed, anti-Bible commentaries as late as 1850 AD have mocked the prophecies that we are about to study as being ludicrous, ridiculous, and impossible. One of the major exceptions was, again, the prophet Joseph Smith. The people today who correspond in the table of nations to Meshach and Tubal are the peoples of the old Soviet Union, which are currently calling themselves the Russians. Here is what the Lord God said would happen Thus saith the Lord God Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn thee back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Ezekiel then goes on to list the nations that will join with Russia in attacking Israel. He lists Iran, Islamic Black Africa, and Arabic Africa, Germany, and the Slavic peoples, together with the Armenians and the Turks of Central Asia. You can find all of this in Ezekiel. It's not you and I that are saying it. Now, why? Ezekiel tells us this too. He says it will be for money, food, and other resources. Since when did a rich nation like Russia need money, food, and other resources? And why take them from a nation like Israel? It is interesting that the world is
1: trying to punish Russia and Putin personally, by attacking their economy right
0: now. It is, isn't it? Modern financial concerns are all connected to banking, and in this we might get our clue to what is really going on here. What do you mean? Remember when Lucifer said that he would take our planet's treasures and buy up armies and navies and rule by dividing us to conquer and then ruling both sides? I see where you're going with this. The truth is that the Illuminati the children of the devil, have financed both sides of every war since Napoleon. They love war, because both sides go into debt to them, winner and loser. Today they admit it. It's no real secret for those who aren't too busy watching whatever Disney says is on, whatever book Oprah says is important today, and whatever some viral cat wants you to know on Farcebook, or whatever other red flag the news media says to watch. Ever notice how our news facilities vacillate between breaking news, children being murdered at the local post office, and just in, fluffy mother rabbit has nine babies, all cute as a button? This is done on purpose. Have you noticed how the worst pandemic in human history is all of a sudden gone because Putin is Hitler raised from the dead?
1: Well, it's no secret that the London banking family, the Rothschilds, sent Jacob Schiff to America to pull the American banking system more fully under English control. This he did over time, thanks to President Woodrow Wilson.
0: In the February 3, 1949 issue of the New York Journal, Jacob Schiff's grandson, John, was interviewed by columnist Charlie Knickerbocker. He admitted with pride that his grandfather had given about $20 American dollars to the Russian rebels with the goal of forcing communism onto Russia, as one of the moves toward creating a new Zionist utopia where a new King David could rule the entire world as King of Jerusalem. The Christian Americans were put on edge because they saw the fight as freedom versus communism, and the innocent American Jews were put on edge because they wanted to support the shifts who had given much humanitarian aid to their suffering people. What I suspect that the Russians are starting to figure out is that England, via American banks, are the ones responsible for the terrible suffering that they have endured post-Tsar. Americans have had this history hidden from us as well, so we are both just starting to feel the labor pains of manipulation. The Illuminati hatred for Tsarist Russia actually began when they started interfering in American politics just prior to our civil war. What most Americans have never been taught in modern schools is that while the South benefited from human slavery in terms of a workforce, it was the northern states' bankers, funded by the Rothschild banks in England, who were benefiting financially. Human trafficking has always been big business, and the English, with their self-righteous, arrogant, elitist classes, have always held royal families, lords and ladies, above the petty citizen who only exist in their minds to serve them. They still think this way. These self-proclaimed lords of all the world were still smarting fourscore and seven years after we kicked their butts in the colonies and declared our own God-given independence. The truth is that the English exacerbated our interstate disagreements with the plan to divide us and then conquer us back. If you will search out honest, unmanipulated histories, You will discover that the South was actually working on plans to end slavery, only they needed to do it in an intelligent way so as not to crush their own economies, nor cause more human suffering. They were struggling with how to do this, but did make the move to end all importation of foreign human traffic into the U.S., which cut the money supply from human trafficking in the North and overseas the British bankers were furious, but saw that it was the perfect dividing issue. And it did divide us, at last, into war. Now, here's the part you don't know. The London bankers were eager to finance both sides of the war, as they always do, and had plans to invade the North from Canada and bring the entire continent back under English control. Abraham Lincoln, discovering the plot sent ambassadors to Russia asking for help from one Christian nation to another. The Tsar knew that the British, French, and German banking systems had come under the control of the Edomian Rothschilds in connection with the Vatican. He simply let the British crown know that any move from Canada into the United States would bring Moscow into London. England backed down, and eventually the Union prevailed. A few years later, the Russian Tsar would also submarine the Rothschild's first attempt at a one-world parliament when he stopped the League of Nations. A few decades later, out of revenge, the entire Christian Romanov family would be murdered, and communists' false form of Zionism would begin. Now you know the truth of it. Russia has a great hatred for England, their banks, and any cause they espouse. Russia is, and was, a Christian empire, not Anglican, not Catholic, and not Jewish. Ask any Orthodox Christian about Rome's Catholicism, and you will hear stories of brotherly portrayal that you never heard in Sunday school. The Pope is not liked in Orthodoxy for what he has done in the historical greater body of Christ. Do you see the problem? I mean, who doesn't want to see the Bible fulfilled? the desire of nations come and rule out of Jerusalem. But on whose terms will it be? Do you see
1: the setup and the trap? Yes, it was the same London bankers who financed both sides of World War I and II, and then in the wake of Hitler, financed the return of the worthy Jews, along with the Samaritans and the children of Esau, as Jews in disguise brought them all
0: back into their rightful holy land. It's a mess. I think we are witnessing the setup that will force Gog with Magog, with others, to attack Israel so as to punish the bankers who have been playing all of us, including them, as well as get the necessary resources they need, since NATO nations will be busily sanctioning them. Until Russia attacks a NATO country, it will only be the warmongers among both sides who forget our Lord's decree. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the
1: children of the Most High. That is interesting, since Israel is not a
0: member of NATO. Neither are Taiwan nor Ukraine. How interesting. As a Bible-thumping Christian at heart, I have always been against Gog, because the Lord said that he would be against him. I want to be on the same side as the Lord, after all. It was only after watching current events play out carefully that I began to see more clearly the Lord's choice of words in Ezekiel. It is extremely interesting in our day, when men's sins are shouted from the rooftops quite literally, to hear the Lord's anger with Gog and Magog doesn't really begin, until he, Gog, and they, Magog, attempt to enter his land. Thus... Ezekiel 38 really comes off as
1: a warning, the same kind that he gave to Cain anciently.
0: Bingo. I think that's the difference. The Lord tells Gog that whatever he decides to do, stay out of my land. That is the line. Gog is not to cross. You can be super jealous of Abel if you can't manage yourself right now. Only stop listening to Satan.
1: Ah, I remember you telling us that the Church of the Devil and the Synagogue of Satan—the same identity, really, with different faces, right—knows all these prophecies, and that they study all of them and then parasite them with the goal of attempting to control their outcome for their benefit. That's true.
0: The Illuminati want the Holy Land because they believe that it is from there that they will be allowed to rule or at least piggyback on the Lord's call for Zion, since they can put their stamp on it, they think. Remember Lucifer's other brag, that he is just doing what the Father would do if he were here?
1: Do you see it? I do. This really puts the Lord in a bind, uh, in a way that causes his name to stink before the nations, just like his people did to
0: him anciently. The Lord is in a bind here, Because if Israel is not gathered, the Jews to Jerusalem, and Ephraim, the birthright son to Zion, the earth will be utterly wasted at the Lord's return, and his word and the Father's promises cannot fail. I see where you're going with this. He
1: allowed his word to be built on the back of Lucifer's beast system. He cannot allow a foreign force to kill his kindred, deserving or otherwise, in the land in which he called them to gather and which he sanctified
0: by ancient and modern prophets. I do believe that's what's going on here, because it's the same pattern in the Lord's earthly ministry. We are going to see this exact concept laid out in Zechariah very soon. Since the word of the Lord cannot fail, and because the Lord is kind even to Gog, he warns him early in Ezekiel, stay out of my business and stay out of my land. Now the nations, in part thanks to us, and the world bankers pulling the strings are going to give them no other choice. This is what I suspect is going
1: on. I have been amazed at our world leaders on all sides calling for war. Christians seem to have forgotten, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they
0: shall be called the children of God. Opposed to the children of whom? I think this setup answers a very odd verse that we have read connected to this event Ezekiel 38. 4. And I will turn thee
1: back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling
0: swords. How is the Lord going to put hooks in their jaws, particularly Gog's jaw, and make the fight happen? Easternly, an animal with a hook in his jaw goes where you want him to go. No exception.
1: But don't all men not have their free agency? You see the
0: problem here. And I'm not entirely sure how God will do this. But once again, there are clues in the scriptures that we can draw from. The first is the Lord's promise that he will take his spirit, not the Holy Ghost, but take his spirit from the earth. This is very important to understand. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost are not the same thing, even though we, and sometimes the translations of our scriptures, confuse them. In short, the Holy Spirit is the light of Christ and will of the Lord that runs through all things. You can see it a bit like all creation's moral compass. The Holy Ghost is the only spiritual member of the Godhead, and as such he is a male spirit and a male God. He is the only member of the Godhead who can enter your body and teach you directly, and thus he must be male, as that is a male force. Once the Holy Spirit of the Lord is removed from the earth, only those who have been given the gift of the Holy Ghost, through the biological, ordained male priesthood, will have access to him. This is important and will yet function as a missionary tool on earth. Once the Lord removes his Holy Spirit, peace will be taken from creation. The next scripture to consider is that in that day, Lucifer Satan will have power over his own. Human agency is the gift of the Father God Almighty made sure through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. If they turn our beastly system completely over to the head beast, the dragon, will they not be as beasts, marked, and dragged with hooks in their jaw to and fro by their satanic master? I think we are rapidly reaching a place where our choices are going to be limited, unless we learn to hear the Lord first and foremost, as we have been counseled recently and repeatedly by our earthly spiritual leaders.
1: Okay, so what about that part of Jared's question, about some translations using the word Rosh to describe Gog while others don't? Fair
0: enough. I was off on another one of our patented tangents. Well, that's what we love about our show. All of our tangents. The word Rosh actually does appear in all of the translations of Ezekiel. Rosh simply means head in Hebrew. Well, it is a literal head, just like the Rosh you have perched on your two shoulders. It also carries for Hebrew the idea of leader, first, alpha, and chief. You have probably heard the word Rosh Hashanah, meaning New Year's Day in Hebrew. Well, here Rosh means head, as in first. So New Year's Day is the first day of the new year. It's top or head, with the rest of the year trailing behind it like a tail. So when you read in various Bibles of Roshgog and his Magog, you are literally being told to watch out for the head chief Princegog and his followers, the Magog. Got it. Speaking of trying to listen more accurately to the spirit... I feel I need to share one additional quote in regards to all of this, but I do have to admit that, as a son of the American Revolution, my first inkling is to grab the flag and wave it wherever freedom is challenged. But as I have matured in my spirituality, I am beginning to understand what President Kimball meant when he said the following, We are a warlike people, easily distracted from our assignment of preparing for the coming of the Lord. When enemies rise up, we commit vast resources to the fabrication of gods of stone and steel—ships, planes, missiles, fortifications—and depend on them for protection and deliverance. When threatened, we become anti-enemy instead of pro-kingdom of God. We train a man in the art of war and call him a patriot. Thus, in the manner of Satan's counterfeit of true patriotism, perverting the Lord's teaching, love your enemies— Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. We forget that if we are righteous, the Lord will not suffer our enemies to come upon us. And this is the special promise to the inhabitants of the land of the Americas, or he will fight our battles for us. This he is able to do, for he has said at the time of his betrayal, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? We can imagine what fearsome soldiers they would be.
1: This has been another insightful and fascinating episode of the Gospel Feast series. We just want to remind our audience that the ideas and opinions expressed on our show are our own and do not reflect necessarily the opinions of anyone else. We hope you enjoyed this interesting insight into ancient thought and how it applies to modern times, and looking forward to getting back to the mystic book of Zechariah.